Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You're listening to the Relationships Made Easy podcast, episode 23. You are listening to the Relationships Made Easy podcast with Dr. Abby Metcalf. Change your relationship even if your partner won't do a thing. Hey, everyone. This is the Relationships Made Easy podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Abby Metcalf. Very happy you're with me today. I hope you're having a great day or morning or night whenever you're listening to this. I know a lot of you write in and say you listen from the car. So that's great. Uh, however you consume is is awesome. Uh, and I'm really happy you're here today because this is a question that a lot of you have had. I get this often. People asking, what should I be looking for in a couple's counselor? What, what, you know, what, what do I need? What do I need to know? And today is going to be exhaustive with all your frequently asked questions, my top tips, everything you need to know about getting the right couples therapist for you. Not everybody can come see little old me. And some of you certainly, um, you know, the blog, I, what I hear from you, the blog and the podcast and everything is great. And it, you know, you really want to have that in-person, uh, interaction. So, uh, here's what, you know, here's what I say all the time, that finding the right couples counselor is a lot like dating to find the right partner. You know, right? you've got to have a great fit overall. Your personalities need to mesh. Uh, the, you know, the cultural stuff has to line up in some way. And I'll talk about that. Uh, you have to have intellectual compatibility. You really need to have things that feel like they go together. And uh, I, I, Always personally, I spend a lot of time, not a lot, but I spend time on the phone. I always have a brief chat with prospective clients, always. And really, it's not so much to find out who they are because people come, you know, it doesn't really matter if you're coming to me for because there was infidelity or just because you can't, you know, you're having trouble communicating or you're fighting about parenting or whatever. That's all whatever it is. Really, I talk to people so they can find out who I am and decide if I'm a good fit or not. I do not want to waste people's time or money. 
And those are the two most precious resources we have a lot of the time, really our time mostly, you know, and our energy and our bandwidth. And it really sucks to try couples counseling and then think that you've quote unquote failed at it and then have to find a new person. This might again remind you of dating. Uh, it's exhausting emotionally. So I really want to make sure that when people come in to see me, that it's a good fit, that we, you know, I'm a good person for them. And so I spend time really talking about what my expectations are, how I work, my overall philosophy. And I would want you to do the same, you know, get a feel for the person before making the first appointment. I know a lot of folks, they hear, oh, I heard, I heard Abby's great. So I'm just going to make an appointment with her. And I do get those calls and I tell folks, well, let's jump on, let's jump on the phone for a brief chat first. That's generally what I like to do just to give them a little more information. Or sometimes I do that via email and I, I have a frequently asked questions thing for my own practice that I can send to people that gives them a, you know, basic idea of everything I'm going to talk about today uh, for fit. But whatever that is, I want you to do that. So with that in mind, just having that idea of getting this right fit and really making sure that you're getting an excellent person, you know, really great counselor. uh, These are my top tips for what I think you should look for, my top ideas of what I think you should look for. There's a lot of them, but I'll go through them relatively quickly. I have about 16 of them. And then I'm going to do just a few frequently asked questions. So uh, as always, you can check out the um, show notes later at abbymedcalf.com forward slash podcast. This is episode 23, what to look for in a couples counselor. Uh, you can also run over to my blog and I generally write kind of a longer version of everything that I'm saying. Uh, there you go. So let's jump right in. So the first thing I would say, and this is to me really top in importance is do not pick someone based on time, availability, or price. (laughs) You're sitting there going, well, that's the big thing I pick for. Yeah, no, bad idea. You want to pick someone on their fit, not on when they're available and their price. And let me tell you why. Because number one, you can spend less money on a couples therapist, but if they suck, you're going to be going forever. And you're going to spend more money overall anyway. So if you're looking at the long game, you're going to lose. And the But the bigger thing is if you can't make your couples counseling a priority, if you can't move work around for a brief period of time, you don't have to go forever. You're not going to couples counseling the rest of your life. You're talking about a few months of concerted effort. If you can't move things around for that, then I don't know that you're ready for couples counseling. I'm just going to say that. How do you like it? I'm saying it out loud. People are going to be pissed. I'm going to get emails about this. And I don't care because to me, it's the truth. I've been doing this over 30 years. Over 30 years, I have been working with people directly. And what I can tell you is for couples or individual counseling is you can't make it the last prior, the last thing. It's not even a priority. You can't call it a last priority when it's you know 15 hours into your day. That's not even a priority at all. So... I, and I have people do this like, well, I can only see someone on a Saturday or I can only see them at night or I can all, it's like, really, are you sure? Are you positive? Because I'll tell you this much, if you get a divorce, you're going to be spending a lot of time and energy and money on that. And you're going to be taking off a lot of time from work and it's going to interrupt your workday and you're not going to be able to focus and concentrate. You're, you know, if you have children, that's going to be a problem. And just in your own personal life, you're going to be miserable going through something like that. Or almost worse yet, if you stay in a lousy marriage. 
because you don't have time, you know, because the, the great therapist that you want doesn't have an opening at the very little moment that you want it. And I, I have people call all the time with this stuff. They'll say to me, well, I can only come Thursday nights at whatever. I can only come. And I'm like, this is not going to work. So I'm going to tell you that right now. That's my number one thing is that you do not pick someone based on time availability or on their price. You pick them because they're the best, that you have the best fit, you feel the best about it, and it really will be a better experience and you will get through it quicker, which is great overall anyway. Uh, So that's really big right there. Okay. And I would say that the next thing I tell people to look for is to find someone with flexibility about counseling sessions or how often you meet. Okay, so flexibility should be there, some flexibility. I, there's, I saw a therapist years ago and uh, that was highly, who was highly recommended. And she had this rule where you, I had to pay every week, like I was paying for a slot and I had to pay whether I was there or not. So if she couldn't reschedule me, like if I had to cancel for some reason and she couldn't reschedule me later in the week or at a different time in the week, then I had to pay anyway. I find that outrageous and I didn't continue to see her. I don't like this. This is, again, I probably get emails from counselors about this. No, I don't know. Like my my doctor doesn't do this. My dentist doesn't do this. No one else does this. And if you're that focused on money, if you're, if you're that a therapist who's that focused on, you know, the, the cash and, and it becomes so transactional. I have a real issue with that, that, you know, our job as therapists is relational. Yeah, I get money and I get paid well for what I do and I have no apologies about it. And if someone calls me and they're really sick or, you know, they need to, they tell me a week in advance that they have to cancel or whatever, I don't charge them for that. I also, you know, sometimes I even give people a, a, a mulligan, <laughs> you know, if I have someone who's never misses and, you know, they suddenly do or something happens. I have people who have chronic illness in my practice and, you know, they cannot control when that illness flares up. Again, it just feels very unfair to charge people you know, when life happens, because I know life happens for me and I expect the same grace, uh, again, with my chiropractor or my, you know, my dentist or whoever. And so I, I give that same grace. And having said that, if someone is just canceling all the time, then, you know, that person's not, and I have had that where I've said to people, you know what, I do want you to pay because I need you to get that this should be important to you. And if you're not, you know, and, and paying sometimes the money is what makes people go, oh yeah, this is really important. I can't just blow this off because therapy can be that thing that you don't want to do. It can be painful. So there, I, I totally get that. And they're on a case by case basis. I do make those decisions, but I would say that uh, and I know it's a little radical. And again, any therapists out there listening to this are likely not going to like it if they if they do it a different way. And it's again, it's my philosophy. It's how I approach things. So I think that there should be some flexibility, some way that things can move a little bit and be uh, really around you know, really in a, again, a relational kind of thing. And if someone is missing all the time uh, from therapy, I let them know that they're not ready for therapy and we should just stop, you know, when they're ready to give me a call, when they're ready to not cancel, to give me a call and I'll see them again. But they're clearly just not ready and that's okay too. But I don't want people um, paying because, and then going, oh, that I don't have to worry about it because I'm paying. So even though I'm missing all the time, I'm paying. So it's okay. It's not okay. So there, you know, it's all, it's all those pieces together. And again, I know this can be a little controversial, but there you go. 
All right. Next up, number three, is make sure the couple's therapist brings up how you work with your finances as a couple. I can't tell you how many couples I've seen, and I start, or even individual folks, and I start talking about money with them, their money. And they look at me, and I've heard that I heard this just two weeks ago. I had a couple in, and the husband said to me, um, actually, sorry, the fiance said to me, uh, you know, we've been to two other therapists, and no one's ever asked us about how we deal with money. And money was a source of tension between them. And I thought, wow, how has this never come up? So money, how you interact. I have some couples who have zero issues with money. That's great. We don't have to harp on it. We don't have to stay there. But it should at least get brought up and talked about and see if there's compatibility around money. Is anybody hiding money? You know, there's a lot of stuff there. Okay. Um, next thing is in relation to this, your couple's therapist should also be very comfortable talking to you about your sex life and not just the sex itself, but the physical intimacy overall, touching your chemistry, all that stuff. I don't generally talk about sex like the first session cause it's not because I'm uncomfortable. I'll, I'm pretty out there as a lot of you know, uh, it's because clients need to feel comfortable with me. And so I try to let the trust build a little bit. Sometimes, you know, clients will bring it up the first session. That's great. We'll dive right in. But if it's not brought up by them, I I usually wait until the second or third session before I dive in. But I always dive in and we always come back to it. Sometimes it's just tabled, you know, put on the back burner. Uh, Sometimes it's talked about right away. It depends. So, but it should at least get discussed and you should feel like your therapist is very comfortable talking about sex. Um, If it's embarrassing for them, you know, how are they going to really talk to you about it? And sex is certainly a part of relationships. Again, the physical chemistry, also the intimacy, the physical intimacy, all of those things are a part of things. Um, So it really should get talked about. Okay. Uh, Next up, number five, make sure you, the therapist, whoever you work with is dedicated to each of you feeling happy and fulfilled. So this means that if the only agenda of the therapist is to keep your marriage together, that's their agenda, that's what they do, that's a problem. In the same way that it would be a problem if their agenda was that divorce was easy, that, oh, well, you can always divorce, no big deal. Just, you know, it's, it seems like you guys aren't doing well. We've had two sessions, time to go. Uh, so whatever way, it's, it's their job, it's the therapist's job to make sure you have no regrets moving forward, that you're very clear about whatever you do next, but it's not their job to, quote unquote, keep your marriage together. Um, I hope that it's the intention of everyone on some level. It is for me. You know, that's what I'm thinking is on some level of like that, yeah, that keeping it together is certainly way before divorce. And I need to know other information. Is there any kind of abuse going on? Is there any emotional or physical abuse? You know, there's all kinds of levels of that. There's a lot of reasons why you would not stay in a, in a, in a marriage or in a long-term relationship. And uh, those have to be examined as we move forward. But again, there should be this overall feeling of each of you feeling happy and fulfilled and and having no regrets no matter what comes next. So that's really the the agenda. Uh, Number six for me is that you shouldn't feel like your couple's therapist takes sides. If you leave the session every time feeling like you weren't listened to or heard in some way, there's a problem. If you leave always feeling like you're always wrong and that they like your partner better, there's a problem. 
It's definitely come up in sessions that I've done where someone will say, you know, I, I feel like you're taking so-and-so's side. And I love when they say it because then we get to talk about it. And if you are feeling that, then you definitely want to say something out loud to the therapist and so that we can talk to you about what's real for us. You know, well, that's not what I was feeling or that's not what I was doing. Uh it's definitely possible that we are unconsciously or consciously taking a side. Uh, and that should be brought out if it happens. You know, therapists are people too, and they're human. And it can happen where you lean one way or the other. I do a lot of work uh, in my own world to make sure that doesn't happen. Uh, and of course, it could. So, and obviously, and actually, in the last time I'm thinking of when someone said that, I, I really was able to examine and know that I know I was not doing that, that this is this was actually a dynamic in the couple, that this person also felt like all their friends liked their partner better. This was a, he he had felt this in his family growing up, that his uh, older brother was liked better. Like there was a, a long history of this and this was just playing out in the office and that and we had got to talk about that. So you know, you do a reality check and really find out, well, what are you, what am I doing or saying that's making you think that? Let's examine it. Uh, so definitely say something if you think that's happening, but if you've said something and nothing changes or you continue to feel it, then it, it's, you know, it might be time to look into someone else. Now, if this happened with every couples therapist you were with, I would say this is about you, not the couples therapist. So <laughs> definitely, you know, think about, is this a history I have? Does this remind me of something? If you're feeling that. Uh, so keep that in mind. Okay. Number seven, and this is an important one too. If you give a boundary to a therapist and they trample them, that's a big problem and should be a big red flag for you. And what I mean by that is saying something like, you know, I don't want to talk about that right now. Maybe something comes up and you say, I don't want to talk about that right now. Uh, I had, a someone I worked with actually individually, uh, in the, I was doing some couples work with her individually, and she said that they, she had been to a couples therapist who, uh, and she, she was having difficulty about staying in the marriage or not. There had been some infidelity, and she was trying to decide and what she was doing. And the couples therapist said to gave her like an ultimatum and said, "Well, the sorry, the husband had given her an ultimatum in the session and said, well, you have to decide by such and such a date whether you're staying or not. I can't just keep hanging out and, you know, dealing with all this crisis. And the couples therapist supported that. And my client, you know, this woman said, you know, I just, I don't feel like I can deal with an ultimatum right now about this. And so, uh, you know, I'm going to be in my process and have to deal with it. And she felt a lot of pressure from her husband and the couples therapist to come up with a date. And she kept finding it, even though she kept saying, I, I don't want to do that. Now, um, I am not saying, by the way, as a side note, that someone, that this husband needed to stay in the marriage forever waiting for the wife, but that's up to him. He doesn't have to say an ultimatum out loud. He can just have that in his head. You know, if she doesn't decide in two months, then I'm going to pull the trigger and I'm going to go. You don't have to say those things out loud. You can uh, be with them because just the fact of saying them does put it on the table as an ultimatum in whatever way. And you're allowed to walk away. You have power in the relationship. So you make your own decision if it feels like it's too long. But giving that out loud when the person says, I don't want that is a problem. So again, anyone pushing over your boundaries, whatever they might be, you really want to take a look. My next tip is, you know, talking about issues is fine, but you want a therapist who gives you specific strategies and tips for changing your relationship. And you also want someone who coaches you 
about how to use them consistently and effectively. So, you know, the talking is great. You know, sometimes you just have to process something out and talk through. But at some point, you need some specific strategies and tips for what to do next. Uh, all the all the philosophy in the world is awesome. And again, sometimes the processing is what you need to even be able to use a tip effectively, <laughs> use a strategy, because you sort of can't buy into it. But once that's there, that's what you need. And then this therapist should be able to kind of coach you. Oh, you know, we tried this tool. How's it working? What worked? What didn't work about it? Okay, what if you tried this? Or what if you tried that? Or what else have you tried? Or what are you afraid to try? Or whatever. But there's like a coaching element about getting from A to B, point A to point B. So that's really important. Okay. Number nine, if you have a drug or alcohol problem, or if even if you think you do, you want to see someone who's experienced with chemical dependency. This comes up quite a bit. Again, I've had people individually and in couples who have drug or alcohol problem and they'll tell me that a therapist never even asked about it or that they kind of asked, but they don't really know much about it because, you know, it's a specialty. And it's, it's, and they just avoided it. You know, they didn't really go there or they really gave bad information or bad sort of suggestions because they didn't understand what addiction was. So think about it. If you had cancer, you're not going to go see your primary care physician. You you want to see an oncologist. You're going to want to see someone who is specializes in cancer. It's the same here. It's the same thing here. You really, drug and alcohol is a very serious issue. It's a serious issue in a relationship. There's no way it's not affecting it. So it should get talked about. And in that same way, your therapist, even if you don't have a drug or alcohol problem, your therapist should be asking, how much do you drink? Do you do any drugs? It should be part of what they talk about. Uh, And again, even if it's not a problem, it doesn't mean it becomes, you know, something major. It just means it's asked about. It's understood. Like the money thing, maybe there's not an issue there. So you just ask and then you find out it's not an issue and you just put it aside. But you want to rule things out uh, for sure as you go. Now, related to this is number 10. You want to make sure that the person you see has experience in, with couples. So this means that they're going to know about the marriage research that's out there. There's a lot of it these days and that they've little, that they've worked with couples before. And I know everybody has to get their start somewhere. So, you know, getting your start working with couples, you get, you got to start somewhere. Uh, and I, so I get that, but I, I, you know, I don't know how the, I don't know how I got my first experience. You know, it was obviously with people who, but I already had a lot of experience before I ever started to try to tackle couples because it is a specialty. It's its own thing. And you really have to have pretty good chops to, 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 to really work with couples effectively. So you want to make sure that this person has good experience and has really done this work before, uh, that that's big. Cause you're, you're, you're paying money. You, you want to have it there. So some seasoning. All right. Number 11. So, you know, I occasionally let couples have an argument in the room with me. I do. Uh, I can watch them because I want to see sort of how they fight, you know, how they have an argument, um, what kind of body language is there, what tactics they take. I definitely will let that happen occasionally um, in a couple session, but it is not a regular practice of mine. So, You do not want a therapist who lets you and your partner engage in angry exchanges repeatedly during your sessions because you will just leave angry and upset and it won't get you anywhere. So 
definitely sometimes I have to ask like, okay, what was the last fight you guys had? What, you know, what was happening? Um, you know, what, where did, where did things get off track? And, but I make sure that it's not just a total, you know, angry recanting of the thing of whatever happened. We try, I try to do a little role playing maybe, or ask some questions about it or how else could you have done that? Or looking back, what was your responsibility in that? Whatever. I I'm always changing and tipping it. And, you know, really importantly, I also ask couples always, what was great this week? What worked? I always want to point that out, you know, because it's easy to run over that stuff. It's easy to forget what worked, especially if something didn't work and you're coming to couples therapy. It's, you know, there's that feeling of here we go again. There it is. I knew it. You know, we made some changes and now we're back. No, you're not back. Calm down, slow your roll. This is going to take a minute to take hold. And we really have to celebrate the wins if we're going to move forward. So I don't like when couple because and couples will say to me, they'll actually do it now when they call. They'll say, hey, we saw a couples therapist before. All we did was feel angry when we left because we'd argue the whole time in session. And then we'd be even angrier when we left because that'll happen. You know, you'll have a fight during the week. You'll forget about it. The couples therapist will ask about it. So you'll you'll talk about it again. And then it's all recharged again. And you're angry all over about this thing that you had let go. So it's it's a problem. Again, occasionally to see kind of how you interact around things, that's fine. But it should not be an ongoing thing. If you're leaving couples therapy every time feeling like crap, that's a problem. So, okay. Now, number 12. I always spend the first session with a couple, getting some background, you know, family of or, family of origin information, that kind of thing. Because of course, our past influences our current relationships. Absolutely. How you grew up, any past relationships you've had, all of that matters. However, the focus in couples counseling should be on how to deal with your current marital problems. This is not a time to focus on gaining insight into how you develop these problems. How, the how is something that should go to individual therapy. So it does happen that I'll have a couple in the room and we'll do some work and I realize that they need to go do individual therapy. And I'll say that. That is fine. But this is not the time to only spend time on these past things. Now, having said that, there are times when I'm working with a couple and we're going along where maybe we're a few weeks in or whatever. And I realize that there's something that's really sticking and I can, I just kind of, my spidey senses light up and I get a feel and I will certainly go back and ask some more questions about a childhood thing or growing up or past relationship. And that's fine. But you know, the bulk of therapy is not about that. It just occasionally you have to dig down, drill down a little deeper, but the bulk is not like that. So that's really important to keep in mind. Okay, let's get on to number 13 uh, of my t- of my 16 little tips I'm going to give you. So make sure that you set some concrete goals for therapy. Really, for me, the goals are big. You know, when couples come in and even individuals, I I I go this way, like, what do you want out of therapy? What is it that you want to get? What do you want? Um, you know, what would it, the couple look like to, for you to know that this worked? And so, because really with anything, if you don't have a clear goal, how do you know if you're making progress? Because remember, you're not always going to get right there, obviously, <laughs> in a session or two, although it's possible and I have had it happen, but there's other times where that doesn't happen. Yet, if you can look back, 
and have a baseline and sort of go, okay, from here to here, yeah, we're not at the goal yet, but, uh, you know, yeah, we still have some bickering, but overall it feels like we're doing pretty good. And one of the ways I do this, by the way, is I actually give a grading. Uh, so let me give you an example, uh, to how, of how to grade. So I had, I had a, um, woman who was upset about her husband cleaning the bathroom. And because uh, it had been an ongoing thing, this couple I have, and actually it's her boyfriend. But so they have this ongoing issue with him cleaning the bathroom. He doesn't do a good job. You know, when it's her turn to do it, everything's spotless. When it's his turn to do it, it's not. And so I, and she feels like she has to go in there afterwards and finish cleaning. And I, so the last time it happened, I, she, they came in and I said to her, okay, so in the bathroom, you know, how long did it take you to finish? You know, how, how much did you actually have to finish? And so she had a few things, you know, he didn't clean the mirror correctly and, you know, whatever, didn't get behind the toilet, something like that. And I said, okay, if it said, so how much of, what percentage of the work did he do? If a hundred percent is a sparkling clean bathroom, what percentage did he do? And she said, at first she said like 50 and I said, really 50, you know, and you spent hours cleaning afterwards. And she said, well, no, it didn't take me that long. And I, so we, when we really start talking about all the things there are in the bathroom, you know, the toilet, the shower, the grout, the whatever, and actually he had cleaned on top. They have a, they have a large bathroom. They have a ceiling fan in there of all things. And he had actually cleaned on top cause he's tall <laughs> on top of the ceiling fan. So there was things and on top of the mirror, uh, things that, and she had asked him to do that, but he did it. And, uh, so anyway, when we got through it all, she realized that he had completed about, about 85% of the work. And I, and I said, Oh, so what grade is an 85%? 
make sure that they carry hope for your relationship and no cynicism. And I'll tell you, when you get an experienced person who's been around a long time, sometimes they can be cynical and that's not okay. I feel like I often am the one, I see it as my job to carry hope for the couple because if there was a ton of hope going on in this relationship, they probably wouldn't even be in therapy. And there's clearly some hope coming to therapy, although often one member of the couple has zero hope around therapy, especially if they've had therapy fail before, if they've been to a therapist, but it didn't work. Um, And so what happens is so many couples I meet within individuals, they're suffering from total battle fatigue. And again, maybe I'm the last in a long line of therapists. Maybe they've made changes before, but they didn't stick. And so they're feeling helpless and hopeless. So the therapist, whoever you choose, should have that optimism, should have that that hope. And it doesn't mean that if you're in therapy for a year and you've made no progress, that they're just saying, oh, you can do it. That's ridiculous, obviously. So don't go there because I'm saying that for you, you people who go there. I'm saying that in the beginning, as you're getting started and moving, you got to have that hope. You have to have someone who's a cheerleader. And I hope that's your couple's therapist. So, okay. Number 15, we're almost at the end here of this. So you want to leave couples therapy. I I talked about this a little before, but I want to make it very clear. You want to leave couples therapy the majority of the time, again, feeling hopeful, which would go from this nice, hopeful person. If this isn't happening, it's, again, likely not the right person for you. So here's, but here's what I say around this. So I, I, I just wanted to finish that point. But here's what I want to say around that is that when you leave the first session, you might feel hopeful. You might be like, oh, that was really good. That was great. You know, or that, you know, that was really important. But I say don't schedule the second appointment right away. And I'll tell you why, because, and I don't allow any couples and those listening who know me know this is true. I don't allow any couples to schedule their second appointment when they're in the room with me, when, uh, you know, from the first one, because really what I want is for them to go home and make their first decision as a couple to come together and say, we want to go back to her or we don't. I also want them to try out the homework I've sent, you know, the the tip, trip, tips or strategies I've sent. I want them to try them out to see if they're any good. Are these, do these work for us? Uh, I think, of course, they're fabulous, but if they don't work for you, then they're not fabulous. <laughs> so that, this all, whole piece is really important. Now, I'll tell you what happens is people will say to me, and it happens a lot, they'll be in session and go, oh my God, you're amazing. We know you are. We want you. And I say, nope, <laughs> you, you have to go do this a little bit and decide. And I don't care if you text me later today or tomorrow, it, it, you know, but I'd really rather you waited maybe a week and saw what worked. But people get afraid that they're going to lose the momentum. They're afraid like, well, no, I've got my, I've got my partner in the room right now and I want to schedule it right now so it doesn't <clears throat> fall off the radar or go away. And I say to that, that's a problem. If you're so afraid, it's a problem. As you know, I have a big issue with not making decisions out of fear. And if if it's that close to the edge that you won't even get back in the door if you wait a few days or or you won't have an opportunity, you won't talk again, then you're not going to do the homework anyway and you're not going to be successful in couples therapy and this is probably not the time for you guys to come. And in that case, I would point you towards doing work on your own without your partner. So it doesn't mean you have to give up on the marriage or the relationship, but doing work on your own without your partner is, is highly effective. I do it all the time with people. Um, 
And I'll t- actually, I'll talk about that a little bit at the end of the broadcast. But uh, so really important that you really give yourself a moment to leave the room. I also feel like there's a lot of pressure in the room. You know, you're right there in front of the therapist. It's like a rejection or a date. It's, it's sort of like setting up the second date on the first date. So people kind of, I think, feel bad. And this is not about feeling bad. This is about you. This isn't about the therapist. We're trained. We're good. We can handle it. Not to worry. And we, and I have had people call afterwards or email and say, you know, I don't necessarily think we're a great fit. Uh, it's rare these days because I do such a good job of, you know, kind of screening and again, giving all this information about myself so that they know what to expect. But earlier, you know, earlier in my career, it would happen. And I would, I would tell, I would give people great referrals. And I usually would know if they left the session, I'm like, we're not a good fit. (laughs) And so I would send referrals, of course, because what we want at the end of the day is for people to, number one, think therapy is valuable and to get the help they need. Actually, that shouldn't be number one. They're both number one, you know, together, right? That's what we, that's what I want. And I think that's what every therapist truly wants. It's not about us. It's not about, you know, feeling rejected. We're not dating. This is a different kind of relationship. So So it's okay for you to say, I don't want another date and I want someone else. I want some, and hopefully because we have met you and have spent that time with you, hopefully we would have some great people on our network to refer you to. So don't make a decision out of fear. Don't schedule another appointment right away. Really sit and percolate, percolate, and then talk, come together as a couple and decide what you want to do next. Okay. And the last tip I'm going to give, and this is a biggie is don't schedule sessions at the end of a long day. And I don't know, I don't work nights anymore. And I'll tell you, I don't. I stopped doing it a few years ago because I realized that the people I saw late at night were exhausted and I was exhausted. I get in the office every day at 8 a.m. I do not have a schedule where I don't do that. That's how I work. My best time is earlier in the day is, you know, probably until five, right? Till five, I feel great. I feel awesome. After that, I'm starting to get tired because I've been at this for too long. And it doesn't mean, by the way, that I see clients back to back all that time because I don't because that's not ethical. And... I still am putting out the energy and being there, calls, whatever, maybe working on this podcast, whatever I'm doing during my workday. And so seeing clients really late is not, it doesn't work. And I'll tell you, when I start talking to people, I've had this with every couple I've ever worked with, because I ask, I, I talk about this stuff before they come in and they'll admit, they'll say, yeah, I've tried couples therapy. I was, I was really tired. I don't think I got much out of it. Or you're so, your willpower is so drained by the end of a long day. If you've worked eight hours, you've commuted both ways. And now you're, you know, you're commuting to the therapist, you're finding childcare, you're maybe eating on the run. It's insane. You're exhausted. How do you, possibly think that you're getting good value when you're that exhausted. Again, you want to be more fresh. You want your willpower to be higher. You want to really have your wits about you. And I also see couples every other week for an hour and a half instead of every week for an hour. And I find this so effective. I've been doing it for years now. And I I have people fight me on it sometimes. They'll say, no, no, I want it. We really need it every week. And I, I, you know, my thing is that... It's like getting fit. I say this all the time. You know, coming to therapy is like getting fit and I'm the trainer. And so that's great to come to the gym and meet with your trainer. That's awesome. You know, we're going to give you lots of things to do, but you need to be able to go do that on your own. If you don't pay attention to your food every day, and if you don't pay attention to your exercise and movement every day, and you just go to a trainer once a week and do nothing else, you are not going to get fit. You're not. It's not going to happen. It's 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 going to take 
if it did, it would take 20 years. <laughs> and I don't think it would anyway. It can't. An hour or an hour and a half with somebody once a week or, you know, is not the thing. You know, so what I do with people in the session is a very small piece of what's really going to happen in the big picture, which is paying attention to the relationship every day, doing the homework, sticking with the new tip tips and techniques and the strategies. That's what it's all about. And you got to practice those. So a week, I found that every other week is perfect because it gives people some time to settle in, to read everything, to practice, to come back and really tell me what worked or what didn't. You know, if you come to me on a Wednesday and you come back the following Wednesday, let's face it, right? You came on Wednesday, you're probably not even looking at the homework until Friday. And then you're doing a little bit on the weekend and then you're back at work Monday. Maybe you do it a little bit Monday, Tuesday. Do you see what I mean? You don't have much under your belt. But if it's two weeks, you really have had some time to really look at the stuff, look back at it, meet, see it when you're fresh, do all that. So that's really big to me is uh, figuring out how the therapy can work for you and not just how you can work for the therapist. Uh, so, and schedule, and again, getting off of work. So if people are seeing me twice a month, let's say every other week, I'll say to them, we'll get off of work early. You know, I, I can meet with you at four, get off of work at three, twice a month. If you can't make that commitment, if, if that is too much, then again, I say to you, I don't know that you're willing to put your relationship first. And I don't know that therapy is really going to be super effective. And I just talked to too many couples who have had too many failed, you know, uh, therapy rounds. And it makes me really sad because I believe therapy is hugely effective and so helpful, all kinds of different therapists, all kinds of different ways. And the fact that it doesn't feel that way, I think is again, because it's not being put as a priority, like anything. Again, if I decided to get fit, I'd have to make it a priority in my life. I couldn't just pay attention to it once a week. I'd have to think about it all the time. Everything I ate, you know, maybe parking my car a little farther away in the parking lots or whatever. I'd have to put these things together. This is no different guys. This is the same. So, okay. That's my uh, 16 top tips. And I want to do some quick, before I get you off the broadcast, I just have some quick cues, Q and A's that people have asked that I want to help you out with. So, um, and I have about five, I think there's six questions here. So we're going to go through these. Um, so here's, so those are my top rules for finding the right couples counselor, but these are the top questions other than what I kind of answered in there of what else gets asked. So one of them is what's best, a PhD or a master's level? Here in California, we have something called a master's in family therapy. Uh, there's also people who have uh, master's in social work. Um, and those are all people who get licensed, PhDs also can get licensed. And here's what I say to you. Uh, there's no best degree for couples. And a lot of times people see the PhD after my name and they go, oh, that's who I want. I want the best. And uh, I, I think I was the best when I had a master's. I have to tell you, I <laughs> think the PhD was something I just personally wanted. You know, I've joked about this all the time. I'm a Jew from New York. We just love to keep going to school. And uh, whatever my issue was, I, I really, that's not you know, what made me great. I, I, it was my, it's my years of experience really working. I've worked in agencies. I've worked, you know, in individual practice. I still work in agencies. I've done a multitude of things, schools and hospitals and multitude of settings, you know, rehabs, all kinds of things. And this is what's made me good is 
the supervision over the years, really being uh, in con- doing continuing education and, and finding out new things, all that's what's made me good. And I'll tell you something else that's made me, uh, that I think makes me good and sets me apart is that I have um, a consulting group and that I meet with once a month. And we get together, and I think it's some of the best therapists in the area of where I live in the Bay Area, and we get together once a month and we consult on cases. And what happens a lot for people is they get licensed where they have to do supervised hours and they have a supervisor working with them and, you know, going over their cases and doing all that. And then once people finish that, they often never seek supervision again. So if you're working with someone who has 20 years in the field, that's great. But if they've never had supervision again... I, I think it's a thing to ask about. Does that mean they make all their decisions on their own, that they're just in that bubble in their private practice and that's it? So again, when you interview people, I would ask these questions. Uh, ask about, you know, do they get supervision? Do they have a group that they talk to? How long have they been doing couples therapy? You know, what do they know about the research? What's their philosophy? Uh, and these are the things I do share with people, as I mentioned way earlier in this broadcast, when I'm talking to them on the phone before we meet, I'm letting them know this stuff so that they can have a clue about who I am and how I work. Now, this isn't to say that, you know, therapists are bad if they don't have supervision. I, I, I don't mean to say that at all. I'm sure there's lots of good ones out there. I just think there's also, uh, there's also lots of bad ones, like in any field. And you really want to make sure that you're going with the good ones. So go with, you know, go with your instincts. It do, again, doesn't, if they don't have a group, it doesn't mean they're not good, <laughs> it, but find out what else, you know, are they actively going to, you know, workshops? Do they engage with their peers in other ways, like at networking events and things? So, you know, there's other ways to skin the cat, so to speak. So find out, but really having that experience is the best. So don't get hooked on, oh, someone's a PhD, so they're the best. And this is coming from a PhD. So, you know, I'm telling the truth. Get into what's my feel about this person? Is this a good fit for me? And do they have good experience? Okay. The other question I get asked a lot is, can my individual therapist take over as a couples therapist? Can they become my couples counselor? And and all I can say to you with this, the answer is that sometimes it's appropriate for a therapist who's been doing the individual work with one partner to move into couples work with both people for sure. But sometimes a new therapist is needed because the partner might feel at a disadvantage if he or she goes into sessions where the therapist already has a relationship with the, with the spouse or partner. Um, what's essential is that the decision about who to see, like how that's going to work is, is a shared one that, you know, you come to that together, that you and your partner talk about it. I am part of the training that I've had has been in just how to do just this, how to meet with different members of a family individually and then come back together. I've definitely had people in my individual practice and had them bring in their partners um, many times. And, you know, again, I'm, I'm experienced. I, I can do that well. I feel super comfortable doing that and building rapport with the partner. Anyone who has been in with me knows that I'm telling the truth when I say that I that the partners to me are never set up as bad people. When I'm talking to somebody individually and they're complaining about their partner, I I know number one that I'm seeing half the story, and <laughs> you know I've been doing this a while, and I also know number two that it's not helpful that there are good things there. We have to find those, and what are they? And so I spend a lot of time focusing on that. Um, and so I know people can vouch for me who've been in therapy with me before can know that no matter how they're going through a bitter divorce or whatever else, that I do not get into bashing their partner or anything else. So the good news is when the partner comes in, um, 
I, I haven't had that energy. So, they, and they feel it. I know they do. They can feel that I'm, I see their side, that I know that there's two sides, that we can all be here talking together. Now, and again, that, you know, that isn't, it, it, it's not for every therapist and there's lots of therapists who can do that. And there's some who can't, and it's not for every person. Um, maybe you, cause you've been the individual person don't feel comfortable sharing quote unquote, your therapist, you know, all these things should be thought about. So it's not an easy answer to that, but, but the bigger answer is yes, it can happen, but it depends on how. And then related to that is, a question that I get asked is, can I see my couple's counselor alone? So in other words, you and your partner maybe have been going to couple's counseling and now you want to talk to the therapist alone. And so the answer to that is also yes, you can see the person alone, but now it's within the the realm of the couple. So seeing people alone, um, in addition to doing the couples therapy is actually often great because you can get different information. You can tease out different things that maybe aren't being brought to the couple yet and really get a little deeper into people's personal histories on their own. Uh, these sessions usually don't go on a long time. Usually it's a few sessions like this and they might be interspersed over the course of the couple's work, or they might be, um, maybe a few at once and then come back to couples. There's, there's a bunch of ways to do it. There's no one right way. So, but what's important is that both partners agree that this is an okay thing to do is to have somebody come alone. That's what's important. So it should be decided together. And then what the parameters will be, obviously when things are shared individually. And I always tell people up front, if something is really huge, so that it's important that you know that we can't keep this as a as a secret. Like I can't keep a secret with an individual person in a couple. So um, that doesn't mean that I'm going to sit and talk about what we talked about in the next session. It means that if there's something really big, it ha- that I want the person to talk about it in the next session. So for example, people have told me individually, I had a woman once who said she had an abortion uh, during the marriage and didn't tell her part, her husband. And you know, that was not something I could keep as a secret. And and I told her that before she told me. And so she knew by telling me that she said, all right, I'm going to tell you and then we'll figure out how to tell my husband. I was like, okay. So, and then I've had people tell me that they were cheating, that they've had a mistress or, or a mister, <laughs> that they've had someone on the side <clears throat> or maybe cheated once or stole money or I've had them tell me lots of stuff. And again, I always make it clear before they tell me that I'm not going to keep secrets, that if there's something big that I think needs to get brought into the couple that they you know, I'm, I'm going to tell them that, or I can't continue to see them as a couple. I can't hold a secret in, in couples work. It's not going to work. So the, these are important things to know if you're going to do individual work in some way with your, with that person. Um, and then, and the question four that I get asked a lot was, is like, okay, these are all great tips, but how do I find that great couples counselor? And my number one way to do that is I tell people, ask every friend you have (laughs) for sure they, somebody among the couples that you know has been to a counselor and start there because a person that worked well for your friend is also going to probably work well for you. That's kind of the way it works. Uh, it's, it's wonderful that way. You know, it makes sense. It's sort of like at a job. If uh, someone's doing a great job and you're looking to hire, you're going to ask the person that's going to do a great job if they know anybody, if they have any friends. That's who you want to hire because they're probably going to hang out with people just like them. So that's my favorite way to find a great counselor is to ask someone that you know and, uh, and respect for a recommendation. Okay. Uh, and then 
Question number five I get asked a lot is, is it important to have a counselor who's like me? In other words, if I'm gay, black, Jewish, uh, polyamorous, should my counselor be the same in recovery? You know, if someone's drug and alcohol, you know, they have to have someone in recovery. And my simple but complicated answer to that is yes and no. (laughs) So, if you can find an experienced couples counselor who has some cultural pieces similar to your own, I think that's great. It, there's an affinity there. There's a way it really enhances the process. There's no two ways about it. Um, I, I can tell you I've worked with people from just about every walk of life and had great success. And um, there's definitely been people over the years that I started to work with and I realized they really needed like a male counselor or they really needed, you know, someone else with a different specialty than mine. And I have said that. I've just let them know. I think this is, uh, I think you would do better under these circumstances. And I say what those are. So hopefully you can trust the counselor to, you know, say if they believe they're not a good fit. Um, and that, but most importantly, again, is that they have good experience as a couples counselor. So just finding someone who's the same, uh, you know, ethnicity as you can be great. But if they don't have couples experience, I don't know that that's a better fit. Uh, in this case, I think the experience is the best fit because they probably have had experience with diverse people. Uh, and if you can find both, hallelujah and awesome. And I think that's great. And again, be checking in with yourself and noticing if you feel comfortable, if you're sharing everything, uh, you know, make sure that that's there. Okay. And my last one that I get asked a lot, last question is, how long should we be in therapy? I hear that all the time. Or how long does therapy take? So, uh, and I'm going to give a straight up answer for this, not one of those, well, it depends. I'm going to say to you that you should see some progress after the first two to three sessions for sure. That's what I'm going to tell you. There should be some progress, some movement that you notice like, oh, even if that progress is that you feel hope that you're that you're trying more things that you're, you know, even if you don't necessarily uh, see that you're fighting less or something like that. But if you feel different, that's progress. So I want you to keep that in mind. But really, within two to three sessions, something should be happening that you can notice. If you don't see improvements or movement, be sure to discuss this with the therapist. I've had plenty of people come in and say, you know, are we, I don't know that we're improving. And because it's great because I can say to them, well, here's what I see. I see A, B, and C. I can give them some some very specifics. As we know, I talk about this on other podcasts, we have a negativity, negativity bias. We especially have that in romantic relationships. So it's important to point out when things are going well, and you might not notice them. So always say something to the therapist. Don't leave and just assume that the therapist sucks because they might be really good and you don't realize it. I swear, I've seen it happen more than once. And again, as long as you're progressing, I'd say that therapy is working. You know, if things become too stagnant, it's likely time to end or end for a little while. You know, if they're just kind of sitting in neutral, maybe end for a while and then come back. Personally, I don't ever have final sessions with clients. I leave the door open to come back at any time. I have, I have a client years ago called them tune-ups, so that's how I refer to them now. And so, for example, I've, I worked with a couple who I did, you know, we did great work. They did a great job. And then uh, I didn't see them for three years. And then they called because they'd had a baby and they were having some new issues. I can think of another couple I worked with who uh, moved. And suddenly there were all these issues after they moved. I, you know, and again, they, they wanted to reconnect, you know, you, new job maybe, or you have more, more kids or you get married when you haven't been something, things can change or you're just having a hard time for whatever reason in life. 
And so I always like to leave the door open and not have those, you know, just, okay, we're done now. This is your exit session. I, I don't think of it that way. And I, cause I definitely have had people quote unquote end. And then two weeks later they've called and said, you know what? I really, I'm realizing now that I stopped how much something was helping and here's why. And I'd like to come back, you know, that's happened too. So I always leave those open. Um, so there you go. There's, oh, it was a lot today, wasn't it? But I think this issue is so important and I really felt it needed time and attention. So I will say this too. I my new I I record these podcasts early. Um, I record them, you know, weeks before the the broadcast date. So by the time you're listening to this, I think my book might be out. Uh, if not, uh, it's coming out really soon. And my book is The 10 Keys to Being Happily Married, Even If Your Partner Won't Do a Thing. So if you believe that couples therapy is not working, or if you are listening to all this and going, that's too much for me, I can't do all that. I think the book would be an amazing option because, again, I've had Im- incredible results with people just working on the relationship on their own. You can impact your relationship just working on your own, even if your partner will not live to finger. So that's the beauty there. You can go to my website, abbymedcalf.com. There is a wait list there that you can get on the book or buy the book. If you, by the time you're listening to this, if it's out, you'll have an easy place to find to buy the book on the website. You can always email me at abby at abbymedcalf.com. You can email my dream team at abbymedcalf.com. They'll also help you. It's my admin. And if all that feels like too much for you, I highly recommend you download my free communication crash course for couples. There'll be links to all of this in the show notes. So you can just also just go right to my show notes, abbymedcalf.com forward slash podcast and just get the links and get my free communication crash course for couples or find out about the book, either the link to the book or the waiting list to the book. Uh, Either way to help you get to the next level of your relationship because you know that's what I'm all about. And that's it for today. Have an awesome rest of your day. I really appreciate you tuning in. I know you have a lot of ways to spend your time. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Relationships Made Easy podcast at www.abbymedcalf.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.